0: In this podcast, we're breaking the silence. Welcome to Mental Health. It's time to talk. Here's your host, Alan Kaler.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in on today's show. My, oh, my, mad respect. The reality is there are not a lot of men who are willing to put both a face and a voice to issues around sexual assault. I am so honored. I am so grateful to introduce you to Neil Campbell. Neil, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me. Finally, nice to to get on here and uh, speak with you.
1: Yeah, that's right, because we tried this last week, and then uh, there was a power failure. So my apologies for all, the, all those fans who I'm sure were so crushed. But here we are.
0: <laughs> well, we paid our power bills, so we're good this week. <laughs> Beautiful.
1: <laughs> Neil. You and I both know that roughly one in six boys will experience some form of sexual violence in their life. Most of these individuals remain silent. They suffer in that silence. I love the fact that you've had the courage to talk about this. And I'm curious, Neil, why is it that after not talking about it for most of your adulthood, you did decide to come forward and just be very transparent?
0: Yeah, it was, um, you know, for myself, just a quick background. I was sexually assaulted when I was nine over the span of a year. So um, I'm not going to give my exact age, but I'm just over 50. Um, So most of my life, yeah, I I kept it a secret. And um, obviously that didn't help me very much. Uh, What I kept it inside, obviously, I took the path that a lot of people do that have been sexually abused. I abused alcohol. Uh, I had struggles with suicidal thoughts, attempts and you know that went on for over 35 years right so um it was about 2016 um, i was sliding back into what i call the darkness of depression uh, and i was starting to think about suicide again um, and at that time i had well i have two daughters and, and i had a choice i was thinking of that and then i thought of my daughters and i didn't want to leave them without a father so it left me two very simple choices either i take my life or i live my life and I wanted to live. So I decided to go to the sexual assault center of Edmonton and start getting some help. So I did some one-on-one counseling, I did group therapy there. And in 2016, again, I think the Me Too movement was coming out, it was in full swing. I was great, uh, but I was really pissed off in the fact that we didn't hear much about men and boys. It was mainly focused on women, which was fine, But I knew that I wasn't obviously the only one out there. So um, I'm an emotional person. I decided that I'm going to sit down, write a letter, uh, type it out. And I sent it to a whole bunch of different media outlets. And one of them picked it up, ran the story. And the support that I got when it came out was overwhelming, uh, obviously, in a positive manner. Uh, So that just fueled my fire to say, "Okay, listen, there is support. And I need to try and do something to let other men and boys know that uh, there is help out there, there's support, and there's no shame in that. So um, I wanted to live and I didn't want to own the the pain anymore. So that's why I just decided, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. What have I got to lose? Um, You know, I'm not living a great life. I can gain everything or just stay where I'm at or or worse. So uh, I chose the latter and just said, you know, I'm going to try and get through this.
1: don't know about you, Neil, I find it really hard to try to articulate one's life experience in a short amount of time, because obviously you've endured so much. And one one of the things that you mentioned in that summary is that one keyword shame. And I remember, I mean, for me, a lot of my flashbacks came about nine years ago. So yes, here, here, we have two men who both have these lived experiences who are trying to work through shame. And I'm I know for myself shame was and is the most difficult thing for me to battle through. In what ways has shame impacted your entire life?
0: So, yeah, I mean, it's probably the biggest um barrier from you know letting me live my life was a shame and so obviously with sexual abuse there's a level of shame that is put on a person just by the acts that are that happen uh, but for myself it was almost taken to another level in the fact that um when i told my parents about the abuse they we called the police uh and we approached the predator that did this to me he, he admitted what he did but the police said, you know, what? you probably shouldn't press charges. It's going to, you know, save you from being teased. It's going to save you all that torment from the neighbors and all the kids. So there was that extra level of shame and that was just OK. I got to bury it and I can't talk about it. And of course, with men, you know, we're. Brought up that we're supposed to be strong and we can work through anything. And, you know, this isn't a big deal. and and back then in 1982 was when I would have talked about it and told my parents. So you think back then, and even to this day, there's still that level of stigma that, you know, men can't cry, men can't be weak, can't men can't be vulnerable. Uh, and the shame holds us back, I believe, from that in, in saying, you know what, okay, no, um, you know, I, 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 I don't want to talk about it. I'm embarrassed because I feel like I didn't, um, I wasn't strong enough. Uh, and I know for me, um when i was assaulted you know there's fight flight or freeze responses i froze and for so many years i beat myself up saying you know you you're weak you're you know how can you not fight back well i froze my body did that to defend itself and if you don't understand that then you just continually beat yourself up and i know i did that you didn't do enough you're not good enough you're weak and there's that shame as a man that you know what you failed
1: Yeah, you articulate that very, very well. I think that our greatest uh, tool is our voice. And for you, that hurts my heart, that that was obviously taken away to another level by an authority figure who says, you know what, it's best for you, Neil, to just sweep this one under the rug. It's best for everyone. And I know for you, you know, you talk about the fight, flight, freeze. And our body is quite phenomenal, isn't it, when it comes to trauma, because we literally will bury and suppress that trauma and store it in the cells and for you i believe it was three years until you were 12 when all of a sudden you know it's like oh no okay this stuff did happen because three years you did not have recollection
0: yeah exactly you're 100 correct and it's for people and even myself until i went for counseling and got help i didn't understand how our body actually protects itself you know we We live every day that our mind and our body are one, but in actuality, they're two. And our body will do whatever it takes to protect itself and defend itself. And our mind does that. And yeah, for me, the trauma was so severe, is that my mind blocked it out. So for people that haven't gone through it, they don't understand it. It was like it literally didn't happen. Um I was, I felt the effects of it internally but it wasn't in the forefront of my mind every day. It was just this diff- automatic defense and sheltering of myself until I was 12 and I was reading a comic book and I, and I don't know what triggered it, but it all just came back. And it was literally as if I thought, well, this, did this even happen? You know, I questioned myself, um, but deep down I knew it did. But yeah, you're right. Our, our mind and our bodies are incredible uh, mechanisms that do what they can to defend us and to keep us safe.
1: Yeah. Like, personally, Neil, I had no conscious recollection of the abuse I endured throughout childhood for, geez, I don't even know, 30 years. But there was something. It's a knowing. It's this knowing. And I meet with so many men who have this knowing, but they just don't have the memory, but then they have that shame. And the shame says that I am something wrong, not I did something wrong, right? The difference between shame and guilt. And then we see so many similar patterns amongst other men who struggle. They turn to the self-injurious behaviors. They turn to the alcohol, the drugs. Why? Because it's so logical to want to leave behind pain and to numb. But I love the fact that somehow you did something about it like it's there's so many men who and it is a choice who choose and it's a difficult one to make to ask for help but again that that driving force that you were able to make it and then walk into the doors of the Edmonton Center for other men who've been sexually abused what was that experience like for you
0: (laughs) yeah that was terrifying um you know It was walking up the stairs, opening a door. And the hardest part for me, Alan, wasn't actually opening that door is is what I saw when I walked in. There were three women sitting there. Women, right? (laughs) It's all women. Uh, The staff are women. There's no men there. So, you know, it's a strange thing. And I don't know if I've talked about it before. But I was like, oh, I don't belong here. This isn't for me. There's no men here. And then the other crazy thought in my head is that, those women are probably looking at me that I'm one of the predators. I'm probably one of the guys that's abused a woman and I'm there for therapy, which is crazy to think. Right. Um, So yeah, it was terrifying to walk in there and just sit down and wait um, and think about for all these years that I've been holding all this stuff in to to contemplate the fact that, okay, I'm going to sit in a room with a stranger and start talking about something that I haven't talked to anybody about for so long and made any progress in. So yeah, it was, it was frightening to say the least, no question.
1: One of the things you mentioned earlier on, Neil, was that word strength. You know, there, there, there's this idea, this notion that as men, we're supposed to be strong. You want to talk about strength, what you just described to me, I'm not sure that it gets any clearer than that, where you have to sit and you chose not to run a- and you chose to work through it you went through the middle of something that you could easily have gone around
0: yeah you know i it, it was um people ask me where i got that strength from or, and what got pushed me to do that and i don't really have an answer i just something inside me said i need to do this i have to do this um and to push through it and uh and say okay you know what i've I'm alive, but I'm not living a life, right? You know what I'm, I say that, you know what, I survive. I get up every day and I survive, but I'm not really living. So yeah, I don't trust me. I thought about half a dozen times I'm running out of here. I'm going to pretend my phone's ringing and I got to go. But yeah, you know, it's, I think it's coming to the realization. um, And I look back now somewhere deep inside of me, there was, there was some self-love. I didn't know how to, accepted I didn't know um, that it was there and what that felt like some self-worth because I didn't have that for so long and and there was something there was just saying you know you you deserve this you you're worthy of this you need to get some help and you the supports there so um, stick with it stick with it
1: I love the fact that you're on this call because I think to myself I go down memory lane Neil and when I went to the Saskatoon Center for other men who had been sexually abused, there are no words that can explain the fear, the feelings. And like you, when I walked in that room, well, there were two women, but there was one guy. But the thing that went through my head is I thought, well, of course there was only one other person because we as men do not talk about this. And everything in me said, run. Yet something, this quiet voice said, stay. And what stood out for me, Neil, is I always felt like nobody got me. Nobody understood um, because we didn't talk about this stuff, right? So we, we were alone in our thoughts and in our feelings. And then when I tried to articulate something as soon as that group started and I couldn't and I just broke, it was that other person, the only other man who said the words that potentially saved my life. And all he said is, it's okay, Al, I get it. And I realized, yeah. wow, that's power.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we have a very similar experience. Um, you know, I went through the one-on-one therapy first, and then I went into group therapy. And, yeah, I mean, to open the door to this room, and there were four other men there sitting in this circle, um, there was a weight that was lifted. I was like, oh, man, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And it's, a, it's it was a it's a hard way to say that I'm so glad that there were other men there that that could get it. Right. Because people aren't, you know, as a society, we, we don't, we're not prepared um, on a daily basis to have these conversations. You know, I always use the analogy, you know, you don't call up your buddy and say, Hey, let's go for wings and a beer. And then, you know, Oh yeah, by the way, when I was nine, I was raped It just doesn't happen. Right. And I think on the flip side of it, from, you know, the person that is on the other side of the table, is that, you know, they want to help. They do, but they don't know how to. And when they don't know how to and the person such as us or anyone else, you know, finds the courage to speak out and it's received differently than we would hoped, then there's almost this, oh, I'm going to retreat back into myself and I'm not going to talk about it. So, yeah, there's there's something and I, I've said before is that there's this instantaneous almost bond, um, a community of people that have been sexually abused and the fact that, OK, you get it. You know and it's it's hard to explain for somebody that hasn't gone through it but yeah you're right Alan to sit with somebody across the table that's gone through or across the room um, it's it's very comforting in the fact that okay they understand what it's like they have been there they've lived through it we've got shared experiences and that brings I know it brought me some peace maybe um, and definitely lifted some of the weight off of my shoulders
1: yeah and- We say this often, Neil, like you and I both understand that vulnerability truly does equal strength. Vulnerability is what leads to reward. And even for those who haven't necessarily gone through any form of sexual violence, whatever you've gone through, if you can get into those spaces, into those rooms right now, it's all virtual. But when you have an opportunity to hear parts of your story through someone else, that's, that's a large part of the whole healing process. 100%
0: yeah it it really is and you know it's the conversations that you have and and hearing a different perspective or what they went through or how they navigated through certain things and you you support each other in in the talking and hearing what not just listening but truly hearing what's being said and taking that in and saying okay yeah that makes sense because I know for me and I never want to speak for anybody else but you know, throughout my life, there's always questions, right? Why me? Why did it happen? All these different things. And to sit in a room and have a conversation with somebody that um, maybe brings some light to those questions or just has that same uh, perspective um, is part of the journey of healing. It is for sure. And, and just that talking component is for me and still continues to be um, the biggest factor in, in me walking the path that I'm walking.
1: Yeah, the why me, the the victim mentality, which it, there's logic in it. I, I remember that there was an elder who I respect, and and he said, you know, at the end of the day, it happened. The question is now, what are you going to do about it?
0: Yeah, and that's the acceptance, and that's hard, right? Um, because I think that there's a bit of confusion. Accepting it doesn't mean you um, say that it's okay. It's it, that's not what it is but I always thought that is that okay well I'm going to accept it happened so that means it's okay that it happened well that's not what it is at all uh, and your elder is 100% correct in the fact that okay it happened and it's horrible it sucks but what do you do with that now um, and you can do one of two things you can hide in it or you can hit it head on and work through it and whatever you need to do to get through that is is yeah accepting the fact that okay, it happened and it's horrible, but I got to move past that. I've got to say, okay, it's in the rearview mirror. What do I do now? So
1: let's talk about how you move through it. I don't, I, I mean, we, it's not like we ever fully arrive at this place of healing. Like, I mean, it's always with us, but it doesn't have to consume us. How or maybe what were some of those skills that you were able to discover and use in your own journey towards healing?
0: Yeah, it's, not, it's funny. The journey of healing, you know, I, made, I made this comment today, is that it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? Mm-hmm. And um, For me, I think, Alan, the biggest thing that allowed me to start healing was forgiveness. And it wasn't forgiveness for the person that did this to me. It was forgiveness for myself and being easy on myself because there was always this voice in my head that I wasn't good enough you know, this is your fault. It was always negative, right? There was always this negative connotation in my head. And it was just the fact that, okay, like it wasn't your fault and not owning that anymore. The the shame and the guilt of something that I had no control over. So for me, it was a matter of just forgiving myself for beating myself up for all those years and doing what I did and making bad choices. And that's that's probably a really important point too, is that You know i i made some bad choices back when i was in the darkness you know with alcohol i was in relationships that um i wasn't a great guy uh and you know i had a lot of uh, experiences with women just because i wanted to prove i wasn't gay and i beat myself up for that like and it was understanding and you know like those are the behaviors that most sexual abuse people go through so you have to understand that although it's not right there was a reason why these things happen this is a you this is your coping this is what you're doing so understanding that and knowing that other people reacted the way i did allowed me to go okay i'm not crazy i'm not this bad person i just made some bad choices based on something i had no control over
1: and and this is where information is power isn't it because once again it goes back to your vulnerability. Your vulnerability allowed you to be in a position where you could hear other men's experiences, therefore you didn't have to be alone. And I know for myself, Neil, one of the constants, one of the most common themes that surface and something that I can definitely relate to is the anger. And, um, as men, we often don't want to go within. We don't want to feel. So we project and you talk about forgiveness. And B- I think it's Buddha who says holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Like anger destroys us. Was anger a constant theme that used to present itself in your life?
0: Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I would I didn't know how to express myself, uh, you know, so at home. I would punch holes in the walls, I'd punch holes in the doors, um, I would go to the bar and I wasn't a big guy but I would you know drink and say okay I'm gonna get in a fight and I'm gonna win or lose I'm just gonna prove to somebody that I'm a man right I'm I'm not gonna be taken advantage of again so anger was a huge part of of my uh, my journey and just it was in there right I was it was two things were going to happen it was either I was going to implode or explode. And I think I was doing a little bit of both. I was imploding to the point where I needed to explode, but it just kept to your point. It just kept going. It was a circle just constantly churning in my body and in my mind that, okay, I'm holding this in right now, but then it's just going to come out. So yeah, anger was huge for me.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of times it's, maybe preferable for some of us to experience the physical rather than emotional, or when the emotional pain becomes too great, just need a break. I just need a break. I just need to have the physical because the emotional is becoming too much. And of course, then we have that correlation with alcohol or or other substances, which really just puts that blanket over something greater
0: yeah it really just puts it on pause right it's always there but the alcohol just kind of takes it away and regardless of you know the physical fighting and and the anger it that's just okay that's this part of it and then no matter what the other's still there so yeah to to cover it up with alcohol um, was my coping mechanism and it didn't serve me well and um, it just for us as you said strength is it you know all I wanted to do was talk. All I wanted to do was be heard, but I looked around and I didn't feel that was there. So, you know, what do I do with that? I didn't know what to do. So I just had to, I had to shut it down. I had to keep it quiet. I tried to quiet it in my mind with alcohol and of course that didn't work. It would either go one way, I'd get more depressed or I'd get more angry. So it was, you know, you look back and it's silly, but it's understandable. You know, it truly is
1: a hundred percent. It's, it's logical. You know, I know that Niall Schofield is tuning in and Niall says rough topic, but beautifully expressed. Great info takes amazing strength to speak about this. The thing Neil about Niall is his story is actually featured in the book that we wrote mental health. It's time to talk. And I mean, I've been speaking for over 10 years and it is few and far between that I meet men like you, like Niall, who are saying enough. I am so done with this hiding. I cannot do it. There have to be others. And Neil, to me, you're just helping pave the way. And I know that somebody who helped you find that strength was Theo, right? Like you really connected to Theo Fleury's book.
0: I did. Yeah, you know. He's a catalyst in in all of my my healing. Um, when I got his book, uh, it was a gift, and I was terrified to actually open it uh, because I didn't know what it would bring, right? It's okay, there could be truth in here. there could be I could be let down by it all, right? Um, but I read it, and within you know one or two chapters, I had that same feeling as I did at the sexual assault center. I'm not alone. He gets it. He understands. His words are, are my words, no different than the interview that I saw you do, I'm not sure how long ago, on the news, and they were talking about the sexual assault center you went to. And I laughed to myself because if I said, <laughs> if you just put a mask on Alan of Neil Campbell's face, he's speaking exactly my language. Uh, we're speaking the same thing. So, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that we still feel this way as men, um, that we can't be vulnerable because we perceive that as weakness and I I met I was talking with some people today and you know they asked me what my hope would be and I said one of my hopes would be is that parents see their sons the same way they see their daughters they have the same feelings inside they have the same hopes they have the same dreams but we have different expectations when they're hurt right Uh, and I mean emotionally not physically Um, you know and we have to understand the fact that that's what we need to that's where we need to start is when we're raising our children and our boys, our sons, is that allow them to feel safe when they feel weak or they feel that they need to cry. Let them know that that's okay, that it's not, oh, come on, suck it up. You, you've got to be better than this, you tougher than that. And I think, as men, that carries through with us our entire lives, so it, it's never too late. Um, you know, I've met some people that have been, you know, opened up to me, and but they still are afraid, men, of talking, because the fear of judgment, And part of it also is that the fear of the change. Right. I mean, we've lived I've lived I lived a life for 30 some years and now I'm being asked to flip it on its head and go in a different direction, 180 degrees. That's not comfortable. It's scary and it's not easy. So there's a number of different reasons why men don't do it. But um, I hope that more understand that it's okay to talk and it's okay to be vulnerable. I think that the strongest people are the ones that ask for help. I truly do.
1: I could not agree with you more and you that is a beautiful analogy it's a perfect metaphor the the next like like the next generation of boys are trained to be men and that's the thing if if they can't see us as men be a little vulnerable show emotion um they won't because they're always watching us and again I think back to when you were a child you did not have men who were demonstrating some of the skills that you needed in order to heal and so unfortunately then you carried that within for way too long
0: i did yeah and you know what comes down or back to that word preparedness right um you know my dad didn't know how to to deal with it and that's not his fault that's just the world that he lived in and that was 1982 to i mean really is it five six years that we really started talking about this like seriously talking about it So that says a lot about where we need to go and where we've been. And, you know, we need to educate ourselves and not be as ignorant to the effects of the sexual abuse. And, you know, also the collateral damage that it carries. You know, my parents carry tremendous guilt uh, for what happened and I feel bad that they do. So, it's not just the, the victim survivor that needs support there's also the people around the victim and the survivor the spouse the children i mean my um, relationship with my daughters was strained for many years just because of the way i acted and kept things in but when i went public and i started talking uh, i will tell you that my relationship with my daughters had just did a 180 they understood then, okay, this is why dad acted the way he did. I would run to the basement, have drinks, watch a movie and just bury myself there. I wasn't engaged with my family. Um, So the talking about it, once again, allowed me to repair relationships. It allowed me to express myself instead of having to just hold it in and be able to talk about how I felt and, and when things weren't going well and, when things are also going good, right? That's also important too.
1: Yeah, it is such a complicated, complex topic. Plus you tie in the fact that, what is it? 93% of individuals who experience sexual abuse, it's within, like it's someone that they know. And so yep. then should it come out, there's others who are like, whoa, 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 this has to stay on the down low, right? And, and so it it's such like I said it's just it's just so complicated but I love the fact that you and you as a family were able to just put it out there and it helped to your point her to understand the why why the behavior
0: yeah that's the, that's another important fact Ellen is that you know what when people talk about it there's well no come on I know that guy you know the mm-hmm. I know that uncle I know that the person that did it to me it was my best friend's brother mm-hmm. and Okay, come on! You've known him for years. He lives three houses down. We know the family. There's no way he did that to you. So there's that fear of falsely accusing and 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 putting our heads in the sand. And I think sometimes you know, no, that couldn't happen because we don't want to. We don't want to face it, and we don't know how to face it. And yeah, ninety three percent. Think about that. You know, it, it's it's the uncles, it's the friends, it's the the people next door. So you have to really be in tune with you know, if you see something strange and go with your gut, right? Like, okay, that just doesn't seem right. Does it? And just watch it. Right. And, and people are afraid of, I think they're afraid of falsely accusing, like I said, and I think they're afraid because they don't know how they want to deny it. They want, they're in denial that this isn't happening in our neighborhood. There's no way it's happening. So that comes back to preparedness and conversation.
1: Yeah. Denial. You hit that one on the head. And, there's there's a great saying, perpetrators hide in the light, you know, whether that's the church or the ones who appear like it could not be. And I think that for me, what I've learned, well, sadly, I don't know about you, but I don't trust anyone. And that is not a good place to be. I'm working on it. But you said it perfectly, Neil, it's just about an awareness, preparedness, keep your eyes open, pay attention to the guts, and then to have the conversation with the kids. And when I say that, I mean, just in terms of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate in terms of boundaries.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, for myself, one of the other gifts that I got out of this is that I was able to, you know, I don't have any PhDs on the wall or anything like (laughs) that, but um, I've got the experience and, you know, I'm able to talk to my daughters and say, just, you know, this is what you've got to watch for. And, you know, ever since they were young, Um, I've always and they'll tell you is I've always told them be aware of your surroundings just be aware and and that doesn't mean that something bad is going to happen just just make sure you know what's going on around you know the people and if you're feeling uncomfortable then just walk away from that situation and um, that way you're going to you know lessen the chances that something's going to happen because as you said you know 93% of the people we know do this and um, when you speak of trust Um, yeah, you know, there was most of my life, I was the same way. I'm like, I don't trust you for a second. And um, part of my healing is that I've got a different perspective now is that a lot of people live their life uh, that, you know, you, you've got to earn my trust. Well, I trust most people when I meet them until you give me a reason not to trust you. But I've chosen to do that because that puts me in a more positive state of mind. That doesn't make me naive. That doesn't make me ignorant. It doesn't make me blind it just makes me more hopeful and it makes me more positive. Yeah. And when you talk about hope
1: in a place that I would say is positive, there's this place called Little Warriors Be Brave Ranch and I know that that is something near and dear to your heart.
0: Yeah, Little Warriors Be Brave Ranch is a one kind of one of a kind facility just outside of Sherwood Park, um, Alberta. And what it does is it provides treatment on site for children that have suffered childhood sexual abuse. Um, It's an incredible facility. Um, I encourage anybody that's listening or watching this today to just Google it, take a look at it. And what's really important to know is that this facility receives zero money from the government. There is no funding whatsoever for this facility. It's one of a kind in the world. And it has people from the University of Alberta on the board for clinical psychologists that give uh, direction to the counselors that are there. And roughly each child that goes through there, it costs $25,000 for them to receive their treatment. So depending on the age uh, that dictates how much time they spend there, it's typically a year treatment program, but they're not on site uh, that entire time they spend a certain period of time there, then they go home and they come back. So, it's it's a beautiful place it's um, spiritual ground for me i'm the chair of the resource committee there Um, and i was actually blessed probably about three weeks ago due to covid they aren't allowed to take the kids off site to do activities like play hockey and such like that so they did a pilot project and asked me to come out and spend some time with three young men that were actually receiving treatment Um, and alan i can't tell you what that was like to walk into this cabin uh, there's these three young men, and as soon as I walked in, obviously, uh, it was overwhelming. It was, uh, I looked at these boys, and I was like, wow, that's me, you know, um, some of the behaviors, and and I was very thankful um, that that facility is there, uh, but it needs, it needs support, uh, because it can treat up to 65 children at a time, but right now, they're only funded enough to, I believe, treat 15 to 20 tops at one point, so they need support. Um, And how I would put it to anybody, if you are running a summer camp and they need everything that it takes to run a summer camp um, from office supplies, food, everything under the sun. And if you do go to the Little Warriors website, they do have an items needed list. And, you know, if you go through that, anything and everything will help. You don't have a lot of people want to think that they have to make a big impact. But um, there's a saying there, it takes a village and every little bit helps you know, and it's a wonderful, beautiful place. I encourage everybody to, to Google it, take a look at it. And there's a uh, virtual tour. Um, It's a beautiful place.
1: And they have a virtual event for those who want more information actually coming up. And, and I know that they also have uh, Neil, is that May 6th?
0: May 6th is the Be Brave Luncheon. It's virtual this year. And you know what anybody, I have three tickets available um, virtual tickets. And if anybody wants to reach out to me that's watching this, the first three that reach out to me and get a hold of me, I will gladly give those tickets to you to, offend, uh, to uh, attend the event.
1: Awesome. What's the best? Oh, geez, Knock this over. What's the, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you?
0: Uh, you know what the best way is probably just to send me an email, and I can give that to you now if you'd like. It's C A M P. B-E-L-L at flamen.com. So F-L-A-M-A-N.com.
1: You know, one of the things that COVID allowed my wife Tanya and I to do is we were able to create a a clothing line. And geez, this topic of sexual abuse has impacted my life. Therefore, Tanya, um, the family. And um, first of all, like without Tanya, I am hooped you know, it's hard for us, Neil, when people around us see us struggle. And um, on a side note, like I so appreciate my wife, Tanya, for helping me through this hill. Um, But what we've been able to do is through this clothing line, we can now give back and Tanya and I because of, we know how much of an impact it has on our entire life. We are actually donating five dollars from every purchase for six months, uh, starting in May, to uh, the Little Warriors Be Brave, Be Brave Ranch, and you know because we have a whole bunch of new products coming out in probably a month. But it's it's about that giving back piece, and it's it's the awareness. And I can only imagine what it was like for you, Neil, to to walk into that room and see three boys. Uh, and and I just love the fact that you. I mean, no, you don't have a PhD, but man, you got the the hard knocks, you know, and you're giving back in a massive, massive way.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't be sitting here without my wife, Leanne, either. Um, I've known her since uh, grade nine. Uh, when we first met, we hated each other, so we knew it was love right at that moment. So, um, you know, thankfully, she saw something in me a long time ago and throughout the years that I didn't see in myself. Uh, so I'm always grateful for that. Um, I don't I never struggle alone, whether I think I do or not, because she's beside me the entire time. She knows when I need my space. She knows when I need to be. um, She needs to just be close, doesn't even have to be talking, just be close physically to me. And yes, there's there's the saying there behind every strong man. There's a very strong woman. And uh, I think both of us can can say that that's pretty darn true. Um, And giving back. Yeah. What more fulfilling life is there? to give back, whatever it is. I appreciate what you're doing with your clothing line and giving to little warriors. Uh, And that just goes back to saying, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot all the time. It's just something. And that's part of my journey of healing. Um, You know, I want to help them, but they're helping me just as much at the same time.
1: Totally. And, And I mean, you know, when you, when you talk about this, the, the, Support group in Edmonton for other men who've been sexually abused. I'm not sure how many more times you went back, but Neil, I have gone five times for eight week. Eight weeks is the duration here in Saskatoon, and I know that first time there was one other man. The last time that I went, there were thirteen, and I just cried because I thought, you know, we are moving the right way. The funny thing, Neil, is we were all trying to sit by the door because we still needed that out, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. percent. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. Like, I can't remember exactly how long it was, but you know, perspective on that is that when I went through my one-on-one, there was no men's group in Edmonton for the sexual assault center. It took a year, one year, 365 days before they could find in this city of how many million people, five men, five, that would be strong enough to go and sit in a room. Isn't that crazy? To, to think that that's what, that's, that's the number out of all these people. So, yeah, I had to wait over a year just to be able to go into a men's group. Uh, and now they have them more often, which is great. It's awesome that people are finding the courage, the men are finding the courage to go and get the help that they deserve, get the support they deserve.
1: Totally. In large part, Neil, I mean, it's people like you who are willing to just Talk openly. You have my utmost respect. I really love and appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us.
0: I appreciate you having me on, Alan. And you know, I respect you from afar. I love what you're doing. Um, And one day I'm sure we'll get to shake hands and have a coffee. And uh, you just please keep doing what you're doing because you're changing lives and you're allowing clowns like me to get to get some airtime and get on TV or whatever we were doing. So I really, truly appreciate it. And I truly do respect everything that you do.
1: Thank you. That means a lot. You're you're a good soul, a wise man. And hey, Neil, maybe maybe we'll even hug.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, that goes without saying, buddy, like there's no fist pumps. There's no high fives. This is full on bear hug
1: okay beautiful i look forward to it well thanks again and to everyone who took the time to tune in thank you so much keep talking be well
0: take care everybody